Again, hope it is a, it is a bright morning for you in spite of uh, what's going on outside. It is always good to be here to worship together, to, to have this, this time uh, together. And uh, this morning, begin a, a new sermon series that is going to carry us through the next four weeks. And the, the title of, or the, the series is Rooted and Growing. That is, uh, that's what we're going to be, to be using really as, as the driving image. What does it mean? Uh, what's it mean to be rooted and growing? How does that give lived out in our lives? And it is taken, and many of you know this because you've been to, to meetings over these last few months or, or some of our information meetings or, or gathering meetings, but it is taken from the, the name of our capital campaign, which is called um, Rooted and Growing. It's that same image that is on your bulletin um, this morning. And we, we begin a journey to, to the culmination of that campaign. This, this morning, in four weeks, February 17th, uh, we'll have a, a Commitment Sunday. We'll talk about that as we get a little closer. And an opportunity for us to, to prayerfully consider, and our challenge to you, as we have throughout this, is to, to prayerfully consider how and in what way God may be calling you to support this campaign, this, this new building uh, campaign that we're in. This, as as many of you know, most of you, unless you're a guest with us, uh, we have we started this three and a half years ago, uh, studying and meeting and and praying through. You know, where's God leading the church? What's the next step for us as we continue to grow and be faithful, both within our walls, but as we want to continue to expand the ministry beyond our walls, and and that has led us to this point where it is our our prayer that we are being obedient to God as we seek to expand our facilities. Um, this is not necessarily a new vision for us. When Before this facility was built in the early 90s, when all of the, the master plan was done for this side of the street, remember the church worshipped over there, uh, a new uh, a sanctuary was part of the build. What we're doing is really what they envisioned um, 25 years ago. But we are... Uh, certainly uh, customizing it to the environment and, and where God has us in ministry now. So in four weeks, we will, we will culminate that event with the opportunity for us to, as a congregation, um, make a pledge of support for a three-year campaign to raise money so that we can begin the construction. Not, not at the end of three years. Our prayer is that we'll be able to begin much, much sooner. That will depend on, on you know, a lot of that will happen in these next these next few weeks. But our, our goal for the campaign, our goal for, for the Rooted and Growing is $1.5 million. That's what we are prayerfully seeking um, from God, $1.5 million in commitments for us to be able to begin that next step. That is not the full cost of the product, project. The project's going to cost well over that. And we are still finalizing all that. We'll have numbers to you. Before we ever do anything, all of that will be shared with the congregation. And as a congregation, we'll have a chance to meet and to approve that. So nothing's, nothing's definitive at this point. But, but we have to begin the process of, of, of the foundation work for that. 
So, so that is what's going to be happening. That's what Rooted and Growing is. And in these next few weeks as we celebrate d- different aspects of what that means for us as a church, you know, feel free to come up and ask questions. Feel free to grab me. Feel free to make a phone call. We'll do our best to, uh, to answer. That's why we've had these information meetings over these last um, months together so that we can answer as many questions as we can about where we believe um, God is leading us. And, and to, to be honest, it has been a daunting project for three and a half years. And that's not my project for everybody that's been involved in it. Capital campaign folks, um, building committee folks. Uh, it's been very exciting. It's been, it's been exhilarating. It's been challenging. It's been exhausting. It's been frustrating. You know, it has been, it has been every aspect of, of, of human emotion. And so I, I come this morning appreciative uh, for a couple things. One, appreciative for the, the energy and support and, and encouragement I've gotten from so many of you as we've been in this journey. Uh, and, and we know that it's, it's tough because, as I've said, I, the, 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 the mental exercise I've had some, some of the um, groups do when I've been together. And so you may have done this, but I've, I've told everybody. I've said, look, I said, take a moment and visualize in your mind what the perfect worship center looks like, the perfect sanctuary. Imagine whatever it is that you say, this would be the perfect sanctuary. I said, visualize it. Get a good picture of it. It won't look like that. (laughs) And here's how I know, because everybody in here pictures something different. Every one of us. And so that's challenging to hear, but I thank you for the feedback and, and the input and, and, and just so many roles that, that people have filled. You've, you've encouraged me in, in a time that's, that's very, very, very challenging. Uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I'm also thankful for the, the resources that God gives us in life. I'm just not talking about a building project, but in life, as we, as we move along and, and we face challenges, how God speaks through the number of ways that he communicates. And, and certainly one of the, the ways he does that is through Scripture and the foundational way for us. And, and this morning, we're going to spend some time in, in a book of the Old Testament that is such a rich uh, resource of, of, of God's truth to us and God's encouragement to us. It, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, if you and it's it's the reason we turn to it is because it really is a, is about a building project, which I'll I'll explain in a little bit. I mean that's really the the heart of the of Nehemiah's calling, but it speaks to us in in so many aspects of our lives. I mean, have any of you ever had somebody that's hard to work with? Okay, Nehemiah has something for you. Uh, anybody ever had opposition? You ever had something you wanted to do that people were opposed to? Any opposition in life? Nehemiah has something for you. Anybody ever get discouraged? Ever get discouraged? Ever? Maybe once or twice in your life? If that's happened, Nehemiah's got something for you. Ever been captured by a vision that took hold of your heart for, for your life or for your family or for your, your career, whatever it is? Um, if that's true, then Nehemiah has something for you. My point is, it's not just a building project Resource. It's a life resource, and, and it is, is valued to us. And Nehemiah, uh, and, and it's 13 chapters long. You can read it in about half an hour, uh, but, but there's so much to it. And so we want, to, we want to begin today this rooted and growing campaign um, in Nehemiah. 
and learning some lessons from what Nehemiah teaches us about the first steps, the, the foundation, if you will, of, of not just a project like we're into, but, but of our life in Christ and, and what that means. So let's turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. We're basically going to read uh, the first chapter, actually going to read the first chapter of Nehemiah. These, these are the words of the word of God. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as the dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant. And to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would have ears to hear and and hearts to listen to your word and your challenge and your, your invitation to us this morning. As we continue these moments together, Lord, speak. Lord, speak that we may be strengthened, faithful and obedient in all things. This is our prayer in Christ. Amen. Amen. So, at the risk of being ridiculously redundant, let me again emphasize the refrain that I often say when we read Scripture. We've got to start with context. We've got to start with Nehemiah, with understanding the time and the events that are going on around Nehemiah as as we begin to explore this calling that he has and, and why it was so important and it mattered so much. Nehemiah lived in a time in which the people of Israel, both those in Israel and Judah and those who had been scattered afar, were still searching for their identity. We're still trying to understand who they were. There was still a crisis going on of, of, um, of their faith and, and their, their connection to the, to the story that God had called them into. 
And it all stems from the event that had happened about 150 years before Nehemiah. And that was the Babylonian exile. I've talked about this a lot of times. You have to talk about it a lot when you read especially the Old Testament because so much of the Old Testament was written or much of the Old Testament was written during this time period or about that time period. We talked about a few weeks ago, if you're here, when we talked about Isaiah. And Isaiah's prayer was written during that Babylonian exile. Jeremiah was around the time of the, the beginning of the exile. During the Babylonian exile, that's when the book of Daniel and the experiences of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego happened. So a lot of the scriptures are, are, are informed and shaped by this event. 586, roughly B.C., the Babylonians overthrew Jerusalem. They overthrew the kingdom of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. And they destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple, which, remember, was the sacred center of, of faith and life. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the gates. They destroyed the walls. And they carried the people into exile. And for 50 years, many within the kingdom of Israel lived in exile in Babylon, which was roughly um, Iraq for, for us. In 539 B.C., it's about 50 years later, the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. Now, why is that important? Well, because when Persia overthrew Babylon, they let the exiles return. They let those who had been carried in exile and their children by this point return to Jerusalem. And that's what happened. They, or they returned to Judah and Jerusalem. They began to repopulate the city, begin to repopulate the, the kingdom, those who had been carried. Now, some obviously had been there all along. And, and that begins some projects of rebuilding, but it didn't go so well. They had rebuilt the temple. That was the first priority, but even that was kind of a shoddy job. And years later, about 50 years after that, Ezra, the book of Ezra, which is, which is right before uh, Nehemiah, uh, worked on improving and restoring the temple more to its, at least in some attempt, to its, its former glory. And, and other things were taking place, but, but the city wasn't being rebuilt. It wasn't being restored. So that really brings us to this time of Nehemiah. We're, like I said, we're about 80 years after the end of the exile, but the people are still feeling the effects. And so Nehemiah is living in Persia. So we would, that's modern-day Iran. And he's 1,000 miles from Jerusalem. But his brother had gone to Jerusalem. Now, he is Jewish. And he's part of, of, of the, the, the nation, the people of, of Israel, but he's not living there. And so his brother goes to Jerusalem, and he comes back, and, and he says of his brother, tell me, what would you see? And his brother says, it's awful. It's terrible. He said, the people are living in disgrace. The gates of the city have, have not been restored. The wall has not been rebuilt. He gives this bleak output, and he uses... The wall and the gates to symbolize a much deeper spiritual reality. Now, the irony of me talking about building a wall this morning has not been lost on me. Um, Whatever your political affiliation is, please put that aside. I'm not talking about that kind of a wall. But I sat there this week and went, oh my gosh, I'm talking about a wall. Um, The wall really symbolized something more significant. Certainly there was practical value to the wall of Jerusalem. From a military standpoint, it became a a protection point from invading nations. And the the rebuilding of the wall was important because it communicated to invading nations, there's a solid base, this is a, a healthy 
country. This is a healthy city. But the wall symbolized so much more. The, 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 the disrepair of the wall, the disrepair of the gate symbolized the, the spiritual and emotional reality of what was going on within Jerusalem, the condition of the people. And that's what breaks Nehemiah's heart. And that tells us that the very next thing Nehemiah did when he hears this condition of this beloved center, sacred city, it says that Nehemiah wept. He wept, if you will, over Jerusalem. And that should give us a little foreshadowing because there was another man that would later weep over the city of Jerusalem, and that was Jesus. But Nehemiah wept over the city because he knew that those walls and those gates represented a spiritual condition. The people were still in disrepair. And he immediately felt his heart break for the people. And, and I start with this question this morning because Nehemiah forces us to ask it. And that is, who does your heart break for? Who does your heart break for? Nehemiah had a passion for the people of Israel. Nehemiah had a passion for the city. Now here's an interesting side note. Something I'd never thought about and never spent any time wrestling with. But, but this is important. Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. Nehemiah was 150 years after the exile. He wasn't carried into exile. He was born into exile. He lived 1,000 miles away. He was the cupbearer for the king. So he had an official and important position in the court of the king of Persia. He served the cup, the bearer of the cup. And you remember what the cupbearer sometimes also had to do before he served it? He had to drink it. Yeah, make sure it isn't poisoned. That's a great job until it's not. Um, and because uh, there's only one way that goes. But, uh, but, but, but he was trusted. He was valued. He, he wasn't connected to the city other than by his heritage. He didn't know the people. He could have easily said, well, that's their problem. Good luck to them. He could have easily said, I don't know them. I've never even been there. But the scripture makes it very, very clear that his heart broke for his people. His heart broke for his people. And we have to begin with this. Who does your heart break for? Who does your heart break for? Because what we sometimes have a tendency to do is we create us and them. And we become very focused on our problems, our struggles, our needs, and we sometimes forget to take into account what other people are facing, what their needs are. That's human nature, but it's not Christ's nature. See, Christ models just the opposite. Christ always put the needs of others above himself. We do the opposite sometimes. And, and we don't realize how connected that we really are and how important our relationship, the symbiotic nature of our relationship is. A, a story I heard recently, a couple women uh, they were senior citizens now. They were going to get to go on their first plane ride. They'd never been on a plane. But they were petrified of the big jets. Petrified of the big jets. So they decided they'd get on a small prop plane. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know why that would be better. Everyone, everyone goes, are you crazy? But one of those that's got the propeller on one wing and the propeller on the other, the kind where the captain can turn around and talk directly to you. You ever been on those planes? You guys doing okay? Yeah, good. Great, Cap. Thanks. Um, turn around, please. Um, <laughs> So they're on the prop plane, they're sitting there, they take off, they're in the sky, they're rumbling along, and all of a sudden they hear this noise, and one of the sisters looks out the window on the right side of the plane, on the opposite side of the plane, and she sees that the engine has stopped. The propeller has stopped, the engine stopped. 
And her sister says, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she says, the engine has stopped on the right wing. And her sister says, what are we going to do? And she says, ah, don't worry about it. It's on their side of the plane. (laughs) Now, that's ridiculous. Of course it's ridiculous. We know that's why we laugh. But we do that sometimes. It's their problem. That's their side of the plane. That's their issue. That's their concern. It doesn't affect us. Nehemiah could have done that. But he doesn't. His heart broke for the people. Who's our heartbreak for? Here's what I believe one of the things. I, that, that's an individual question. And our heart breaks for different groups and different needs and different ways that God can use us. But I believe as the church, particularly this church, our heart needs to break for our community. Our heart needs to break for parish. Not just parish. In fact, I think about the, the ever-widening circle. That's what, that's what Jesus does in, in Acts chapter 1 before the ascension. He says, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. What that is, it's an ever-widening circle. Jerusalem is where they are. Uh, Judea, the country. Samaria, beyond their walls, to the whole world. But it starts in your neighborhood. It starts in your neighborhood. And our, our call is to our neighborhood and beyond, but starts here. And, and our heart ought to break for the things and the needs that we see. I mean, there's a lot of good things, but, but the needs that we see, the way that we can serve and reach out for, for those whom we haven't even met. That's part of the, the reason that this project is so important to us. Because we believe that, that our call is to have a heart for people who aren't here yet. Have a heart for people who haven't wandered in our doors. To to create space so that others can come into this community and connect with Christ and connect with others. Our heart ought to break for the people who aren't going to come into our walls. Our heart ought to break for the people that we can serve. And as we grow and we can continue to serve and reach in so many of the ways that we seek to impact. But who does our heart break for? We ought to look around and say there's so many hurting and searching and hungry Physically, spiritually, and emotionally, people, our heart needs to break for them. And, and what Nehemiah shows us is that the, the priority is not the wall. See, see, his call is to go build the wall, but the wall really isn't the priority. The people are the priority. What broke his heart was the condition of the people. And that's what needs to drive us. People are our priority. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, of everybody. That's the call. Others. That's the example of Jesus. Others. That's who we need to be. Others. So people are the priority. But here's the other thing we learn. People are the priority. But prayer is the first action. Prayer is the first action. Nehemiah hears this. And what grabs him, this report from his brother, what grabs him is, God, are you calling me to go rebuild that wall? Are you calling me to go to do something about that need that I've just become aware of? Again, not dismissing, not saying, well, hey, that's their problem. You're calling me to do something. Now, for a lot of us, this would be our strategy. For me, I'd immediately start to plan into, okay, well, we're going to do this project. Um, who can I get on my side? Who, who has the skills that I need? How do I begin to organize it? How do I begin to make this happen? Nehemiah doesn't do that. Nehemiah doesn't have much to bring to the table. He's a cupbearer. 
but he's not wealthy. He's not influential. He's not connected. He doesn't have any building experience. He doesn't have any blueprints. He doesn't have a team to go with him. He has none of those things. This is what he has. He has an unabashed, unapologetic, unwavering faith in God. And so the first thing he does is he goes to prayer. Don't miss that. He goes to prayer. It says that he wept. Then for days he fasted and he prayed. This wasn't an end. What we read is a synopsis of a reoccurring prayer. He didn't just take a few minutes and go, okay, Lord, bless this endeavor. Amen. Let's go. Day and night he prayed. Day and night he prayed. And his prayer was this, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what are you doing that I can go be a part of? Lord, how can this happen He confessed the sins of the people. He confessed the sins of his family. He confessed his own sins. And he said, Lord, but you've made a promise. You've promised that if we're faithful, if we return to you, you'll bring us home. You'll restore us. I believe your promise. What do you want me to do? And how will you make it happen? He prayed. He prayed. He prayed before he ever goes to the king and asks permission. Before he ever starts developing a strategy for rebuilding the wall. Before he ever started to face the opposition. All these things would lay out in the story that comes in the chapters after. He prayed. We are to be a people of prayer. Remember Jesus when he was at his busiest. When people were coming to see him. And they wanted miracles. And they wanted to hear him. And they wanted to be touched. And they were bringing the lame and the afflicted and the hurting. And he was restoring and healing and speaking. Remember what he often did. It said that he was so busy he had to withdraw to pray. The night before he was crucified, what does he do? He withdraws to pray. Prayer isn't the afterthought. It is the thought. It's the first action before anything else. It's not a mistake that in October we had a prayer vigil. We're going to have more prayer opportunities. That everything we've done from the first time we've met, we've prayed over. Every step we take, we've prayed over. Because this can't be up to us. It has to be. It has to be has to be God's will for us or else it will not work and so prayer is the first action it's the character it's the heart it's the the example of Christ it's who we're called to be and where we're called to be rooted it matters I've told the story before of the preacher and the bus driver that went to heaven on the same day you heard about the preacher and the bus driver that went to heaven on the same day They both died at the same time, so they're standing in line at the pearly gates, bus driver, then the preacher. They finally make their way to the front, and the bus driver gets there. Peter looks at him and says, Joe, it is great to see you. Oh, we've got a place for you. And he welcomes Joe into the kingdom, and he welcomes him past the pearly gate, and he he takes him to this hill with this beautiful mansion. And he says, Joe, this, this is yours. And the preacher's looking at this, and he's getting excited. He's like, wow. The bus driver got that mansion. I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. I can't wait to see what I'm about to get. And so the preacher comes down. I heard some of you say, "Uh uh-oh. The preacher comes down, or the Peter comes down, and he says, preacher. He says, Chris, welcome. Come on in. And so he ushers him in, and he takes him to his place, and it's this little tiny dinky shack at the end of the street in the shadow of this mansion that Joe got. And the preacher looks at it, and he's crestfallen, and then he starts to get angry. And Peter knows it, and Peter's like, well, what's wrong? And he says, Peter, I don't understand. This makes no sense to me. That bus driver drove a bus his whole life, and he gets a mansion. I was a preacher my entire life, and I get this old shack. 
Peter goes, well, you need to understand something. He said that when you preached, people slept. (laughs) But when that bus driver drove, people prayed. (laughs) Prayer matters. It matters. It matters for reasons far more important than the size of our house in the pearly gates. It, it matters. It's the, the, the foundation. Nehemiah knew. What's that? Yeah. Ne- Nehemiah knew that was, that was the heart. That had to be where everything he would do would be rooted. As he goes back to Jerusalem and he helps rebuild the wall. And he faces opposition. And he calls the people to faithfulness and a return to of obedience. All of it is rooted in the prayer of Nehemiah chapter 1. We are people. And, and this isn't a, a, a building thing. This is a life thing. This is a walk with Christ thing. Your life and my life needs to be rooted in prayer. The decisions we make, the challenges we face, the, the forks in the road that we encounter. Everything we do rooted in prayer. So whether God calls you to, to be a part of this, God calls you to be a part of a prayer, of, of connected with him through prayer. And so that's, that's our roots. That's, that's our foundation. Everything we do, our prayer is this, Lord, let it be your will. If it is, open the doors. If it's not, shut the doors and move us in a new direction. But let us be rooted in prayer. People are priority. Prayer is the first action for our life together and our life in Christ. Let that be the foundation of the life of faith that we live. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, we do. We thank you because this is an invitation you give us to to speak with you often and anywhere and everywhere. So may prayer be a foundation of our lives, not just something we do for a few moments in worship, but an ongoing conversation, a question, Lord, what's your will? How can I be a part of it? How would you use me to to have a heart that breaks for people I don't even know? People I've not even met. They matter. And you've called me to live your love to them, to share your good news with them. And so, Lord, let that be the character of our lives rooted in prayer. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.